0: Hello and welcome to the Common Sense Gospel. I am Danny Simmons, and I'm Kurt Norbit. And today we're talking about the pillar and ground of the truth. This name given to the Lord's Church is found in First Timothy chapter three, and verse fifteen. I'll back up to verse fourteen, and we'll just read it together. First Timothy three fourteen through fifteen says, "These things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly. But if I'm delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God." which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of the truth. So that's where we get our phrase from, 1 Timothy 3.15. The church of the living God is the pillar and the ground of the truth. And really what we see in verse 15 are three descriptive names given to the Lord's church in this verse. The first one, as we've read it together, is the house of God. This phrase is used to describe the congregation of believers. This is where God dwells within the true and enduring church of living souls. In the Old Testament, the temple was often referred to as the house of the Lord. Uh, in Exodus thirty-two nineteen, Exodus 34, 26, just by way of example, Moses says, it is the house of the Lord your God. The house of, of God in the New Testament now, as we see it in this passage, is a glorious spiritual temple whose chief cornerstone is Jesus Christ. The temple in Jerusalem, though a marvelous work of gorgeous and elaborate symbolism, was the poor, perishable, hand-wrought model. The house of God now in the New Testament is not made with hands. It is designed and secured and established by God himself. So so the house of God is the first one. The second phrase that is given uh, for the church, the New Testament church, is the church of the living God. So this phrase, as we look at it, plainly defines The house of God our first term as the church and the church as we know it is the church which christ built matthew 16 and verse 18 jesus tells peter and the apostles i will build my church and so that's what paul is talking about the church of god the house of god it is the pillar and the ground of the truth that's our third phrase and that shows us that the lord's church is a company of separate individuals who stand as one massive foundational pillar that displays the glories of redemption and, and really is, is the full expression of God's truth. That is an amazing um, name to place on a group of people who are serving God and are trying to emulate Him in everything they say and do. That if they stand fast on His Word, they are. God says they are the pillar and ground of His truth. Um, we see the descriptive terms for the church. But what we want to do today is work out the role of the church. In, in what ways is that played out other than what I've just here briefly mentioned? And so, Kurt, I'll, I'll let you kind of introduce that for us. How, how does the church show itself to be the pillar and the ground of the truth? Well, the, that
1: role, that, that responsibility, that purpose that uh, God has given to the church in His design uh, is carried out, I believe, both by the teaching and the behavior of the church. Uh, we are authorized only to teach what God has revealed, which explains why we are His church, the church of the living God. Then we proclaim what the living God has given us to proclaim. Uh, so that teaching has to be accurate, it has to be the truth that God has revealed so does the behavior. Um, one aspect of that is Jesus said that uh, all would know that you're my disciples by the love that you have one for another. So the way people see us act, both as a church as we assemble here at the building, but even as we individually interact with other people in our lives, are going to demonstrate that the church is the the foundation and the support of the truth. It is what what holds truth up before a society and a world that denies that there even is such a thing as truth. The church's responsibility is to refute that and to demonstrate that there is a body that proclaims and supports truth. Uh, And it is the Lord's church. So that all acts uh, as part of God's wisdom and his purpose as a leaven, as an influence on our society. Uh, but again, that's individuals like you pointed out, the no longer is the church a physical edifice. you know let's let's go down to the church and uh, have a picnic or whatever. Uh, no, the church is people and we are to be, the salt of the earth. We are to be the light that's set on the lampstand. We're, we are to be the leaven that leavens the whole lump uh, with good influence. And that's the church's job. That's what the church is supposed to do in society. And so as, it, as the individuals carry that out, then the church, the, the assembly of that group, of those people who have obeyed the gospel, and belong to Jesus Christ. That purpose is fulfilled and that influence uh, is held out to society. And I think uh, there are a lot of societal pressures, naturally, that push back against that. You know, Satan's job, his, his, the purpose he has taken on himself, I believe, is to defile everything that God does. Because everything that God does is good. And right and perfect in his will. And as soon as he does something like ordain the family, ordain marriage, ordain sexual purity, ordain the way we are to behave, ordains the church, Satan sets about to defile that, to destroy it, to disrupt it, to deceive it. And so it's no surprise that society is going to proclaim its way Against the truth that the church upholds, which is kind of ironic. if society says there is no truth, then why would they be concerned? <laughs> it's like, yeah. well, no, the truth says we are not to behave that way. Well, we don't think that, and we're going to act the way we want. Well, what they've done is proclaim an opposing truth, quote unquote, because it's not truth. but they are declaring something th- something to be true in opposition to god's truth that the church is to uphold so they've established a truth at least in their minds so there is a truth what we have to do is determine what that truth is and then it is the church's responsibility to uphold it
0: yes but the initial belief the confidence that truth god's truth <clears throat> is found in his is found in the bible and it is given perfectly so that we might know it and we might live by it once you have a group of people who agree that that can be attained and can be maintained, uh, now you're, now you're on a path together. And again, because the truth comes from God and God alone, then there can be no diatrophies in the church. There can be no individual who says, yeah, I read it too, but that's not going to fly. You know, that's not going to work. Uh, we, this is what we should do, or this is what I think we should do. That can't be a part of our reasoning or, or the, the way we get to our conclusions because Man in his nature is carnal; uh, he's drawn and distracted by things of the world, as you said. And I was thinking, as you were talking about the opposition of secular world against the church, is that for the most part, and I don't, I don't know the situation in every congregation, but for the most part, the world's not pounding on the door and demanding that we teach something else, or we don't, we don't get that immediate in-your-face pressure, which is, a, which is a blessing. But I think. More effectively than that, as far as the church is concerned, is that people, in general, have kind of come to understand the church to be something. So, for example, there are messages left on the phone uh, at the building, not the church, but at the building, um, and and they say uh, we're calling because we need help with our electrical bill. Um, Do do you have a food pantry or something that we can come and kind of kind of go through and. My family's hungry. And so the, the impression that society has about what the church is is incorrect. The, the, the inner working of the church and what the New Testament teaches, especially with the funds that were uh, giver, given and offered uh, to the service of the gospel and to the Lord, those are strictly used for saints in need, uh, not not worldly people. and I, And I don't think that the world sees and understands that in the problem, the real problem that I think comes from that is that when you say to someone, I'm sorry, we don't pay people's electric bills. And I typically don't do that. I, I would begin by saying, Look, can I ask you if you're a member of the church? Because if they're a member of the church and we can have that conversation, then we do have an obligation uh, to consider their, their case and, and, and help them if, if it, if it can be done. Um, but if they're not a member of the church, then I, I do need to tell them, I'm sorry, we don't have funding set aside uh, to help people, you know, world, people in the world with their electrical bills or anything else. The initial reaction to that is, well, I thought you, I thought y'all were a church. Like, what do you do? If you're not helping people, what is, you, why are you even, why do you exist? And so you see what I'm saying? It, it, it's almost like if, if that happened enough, where we got a, a ton of phone calls That we'd all meet and go, hey, what should we do about this? I mean, because we do want to do good. We want to show the world we love the Lord. We are supposed to help people around us. Um, Should we start a fund? You know what I mean? Because that would almost nudge us to, for the purpose of doing something that we believe is good, why can't the church do it? Why can't the church support a college, for example, and, and, and the other things that are out there that might be a good work in our estimation? So what's the answer to that? The truth. (laughs) I mean, you know,
1: that sounds simplistic, but I I think that that is one aspect in which society has influenced the church, or churches, I will say. Uh, The government has set up all kinds of societal welfare programs, and there are a lot of churches who've decided, well, let's copy that and do it ourselves. We'll we'll do that and contribute to that. Mm -hmm. Well, as you pointed out, we don't find in the New Testament that God has given the responsibility of the church to engage in societal welfare programs. For one reason is the government can't even afford their own programs. So how in the world is the church going to do it? And that is not the, the influence we are supposed to have on society. God has not given the church responsibility to take care of people's physical needs. The church is designed to take care of their spiritual needs. You don't find any emphasis for the church to, to help everybody with their, their issues, their utility bills, their food. It's not to say that we're unsympathetic to that. Uh, I know individual members who have come across issues like that and have helped people. And that's fine. As an individual Christian, if I see an opportunity and I have the ability to help with that, then it's my responsibility to do something about that. That's right. The church doesn't have the authority to do that, though. That is not the church's mission. But many churches have taken it upon themselves to do that work. Therefore, society gets the picture oh, well, churches are benevolence organizations. That's. Because that's how they serve Jesus. If you love Jesus, then you'll help me with, you know, I've had that guilt trip thrown at me. Well, you, I thought you guys love Jesus. How come you're not helping me? Well, I point out, well, I will help you. Right. But the
0: church is not in a position to do that. That's right. And so what, what Kurt is explaining to us is not something that he came up with that he thought was a good idea. As you said, it's, it's built on the truth. The Bible deals with that. Uh, and the Bible specifically... Uh, Galatians 6 now is written to the individual. Galatians 6 to the individual Christian in verse 10 says, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all. That's to the individual. We are to do good to all and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So your your answer lies within the text of the New Testament. I am supposed to do good to all Mm -hmm. as I have opportunity and as I'm able. The Bible clarifies that for me. But that's to the individual and not to the church. Again, when you see the church and the work of the church, the, the church has no authority to, to do those types of things, the, um, the pantry, mm-hmm. uh, the paying of bills for those who have fallen on hard times. And, and I, again, I think people, because of just the general understanding of, I bet the church will help, you know, where that came from and how that became kind of the common knowledge in the secular world is beyond me, but it has because they are calling and it's almost as silly as someone, well, let's say I go into a a big building and on the building, it says Texas pulmonary physicians. So I walk in there and I say, I'm here to see a doctor. So, you know, they bring me in to see a doctor at Texas pulmonary physicians. And I say, yeah, I got an ankle injury and I need you to check it out. What's he going to tell me? You're in the wrong place. I, try, I don't do ankles.
1: Yeah, I, that's not my specialty. Can't you yeah. tell
0: by the sign? So if yeah. the principle's the same there, isn't it? It's like, well, you're a doctor. Don't you care? Sure, I care. I'm a doctor, but I deal with yeah. lungs. Yeah. You said you have an ankle problem. So in, in that simple example, we can see, oh, no one goes into a pulmonary specialist to get their ankle looked at because that's not what that individual does as far as practice, uh, his physician practice. And we understand that but because of what has kind of developed concerning the church in a very broad sense. Uh, people think that we'll we'll take care of stuff like that, and uh, I understand why they think that. It's just not. We don't have authority to do that.
1: Well, I think it reflects two things. One, most of the time when a person calls up for help like that, at least in my experience, so I'll go with that, they're almost always not what society used to call church-going people. They're, they're not believers. In fact, they, they just really don't care about the church other than maybe we can get some help there. Hmm. Uh, and so you have an unbeliever's paradigm and concept of the church. Well, I have a physical need, and I don't care about spiritual things. That church over there, they're supposed to be people helpers, so they need to fulfill my spiritual need. So there's the wrong concept. But it's been it's been solidified and, and encouraged by the fact that churches have taken on that responsibility. They've taken on that work without authority from God. As you said, they'll, they may run to a passage like Galatians 6 and say, see, help people. Uh, do good to all men. They'll go to James one twenty seven. pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to what? Take care of widows and orphans. That's right. So we should do that. But again, if we're going to go by the Word of God, if we're going to support the truth, we need to understand that the truth is that those are individual responsibilities. That's right when a church takes on those responsibilities now they are proclaiming to the world yes we're we're a physical needs provider we can help you out uh we've got a food pantry that's open every wednesday or you know whatever it might be but once you've done that you are now no longer upholding the truth because god did not give the church that work to do so now You've got the church doing man's work, and therefore it becomes man's church. It's no longer supporting the truth that God has proclaimed. It's supporting a truth that man has come up with and, and defined to be truth.
0: Yeah, that's and right. And, of course, it's not. It, it, if it's not truth, then it's
1: not truth. It's
0: It's a lie. That's well said. James one, as you pointed out, uh, that is to the individual. Verse twenty six says, "If anyone among you thinks he is religious, and does not bridle his tongue, you know, so it's it, we're talking to individual people." And then he says, "Pure and undefiled religion is is, is this, uh, before God the Father, to visit orphans and widows in their time of need, and to keep oneself unspotted from the world." That is clearly written to the individual. Yeah. And so that in the, when the arguments that took in the took place in the past. We're kind of built on these passages that, see, it's written here that we should do this, so the church automatically should do it. And, and that's when the argument started to set in to say, well, wait a second, that, that's not to the church. We have special requirements given to the church and special instructions given to the church and those we must follow. So that is obviously a big part of it. One other thing about the pillar in the ground of the truth that I had considered was you have a body of believers we love one another fervently as, as we're commanded. Uh, Peter tells us that in First Peter. Uh, love the brotherhood, the, your brethren, fervently. Um, we have a relationship that we've developed with each other. We do sincerely care about one another, and we are the pillar and the ground of the truth. If an individual whom we know and love um, steps outside of God's will or begins to live openly in sin, then the church as a whole, has an obligation, scriptural obligation, to deal with that person as someone who has fallen out of ranks, if you will. Uh, They've departed from that truth, and so we we refer to it as church discipline, but something must take place, and that's really tough because, like I said, we know and love each other. We try to give each other room to grow and to develop, and, and there's a lot to be thought about and considered when these things happen. But when someone's confronted and you say, "Look, we, we know that you're doing this, and you've got to repent," uh, the elders play a very important role in that. And that individual, now it's placed upon them, and, and if they say, "I either I don't think it's sin, or no, I will not," or you know whatever they say, now the church must move in a disciplinary way that's laid out in Scripture, because we're the pillar and the ground of the truth as a whole. So why? Why can't we just let them stay? Well,
1: there again, that touches on one thing I mentioned. Uh, one of the pressures that uh, are exerted against the church in order to get it to deviate from the truth are the attractions and the allurements that society will put before us. Mm-hmm. Uh, society has now almost no attitude towards sexual purity. Uh Society has blurred or even denies that there are God-given roles within the home. Uh, we see a, the perversion of marriage in almost every kind of depraved way you can think of, not just in divorce, but in relabeling marriage, redefining it to, to be between two people that the Bible never indicates marriage is for. Uh, as Jesus said in Matthew 19, God created man and woman and said, let what God has joined together, let not man put asunder. Well, God's design for marriage is a man and a woman perpetually for life. Society says, no, that would, no, 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 that's much too narrow. That's, that's patriarchal, whatever kind of demeaning label they want to put on it to justify their change to make it, quote, better, unquote. Uh, so you have all of these various, and those are just a few examples, but you have as you said, not someone pounding on the door and saying, we demand that you change the way you preach about X. But it's it is a, it's a relentless environmental pressure. We hear it all the time. And it's put against the church. And there's pressure that you need to conform to this. Otherwise, we're going to call you names. We're, we're going to Eventually, we're going to try to shut you down, whatever whatever may take place. If we allow someone who has succumbed to those societal pressures to remain in the church, we've now given society a foot in the door. Mm-hmm. The camel has gotten his nose into the tent. Uh, and if that tent flap isn't closed and the camel pushed out, he's going to be all the way in there pretty soon. Paul told the Corinthians that evil companionships corrupt good morals. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. So if someone is in sin, they decide to become a bad apple, so to speak, you cannot let that bad apple remain in the barrel with the rest of the apples
0: because it'll rot them out too. Yeah, and that happens in a lot of ways. One of the major ways is the other members who are trying their best look to the one who's in open sin and has not been corrected, and they say, Well, mm-hmm. if that's mm-hmm. the standard, then I can you fill in the blank. So, the, and it's important, I think it's important for us to say that the church, the role of the church is not to just find people to th- throw out in the street. The church, as I mentioned before, is to love one another fervently. So, everything that the Bible gives us to do, especially concerning church discipline, I shouldn't say especially, but also church discipline. Every single move is done in love and for the purpose of bringing that person back into the light of the truth. that Paul says, you know don't eat dinner with such, don't even eat with them, don't spend time with them unless you are studying the issue. because that shows that you you condone that behavior or those actions in some way that, that you should never do. And he says the purpose is so that person would be ashamed. And, you know, when, you, when you're ashamed, when the people who loved you the most now are not allowed to talk to you by God's will because of your behavior, that brings shame on the behavior. It, you know, when it, without that personal contact, it would be easier for a person to go, ah, I, don't, I don't think that verse means what it says. But when you have 20 people around you who love you who say, oh, that is what it means. I've studied it. I'm worried about you. You know, and, and so now you've got that personal touch that God understands is a part of the working effort of the church to remain pure so all those things are in place, but as, as we've talked about before, when you look at 1 Timothy 3.15 and you see that the, the church of the living God is the pillar and the ground of the truth, that that is very serious. Uh, that is never to be set aside. If we want to be called Christians, m- members of the church, uh, children of God, if, if that is appropriately fitting our lives, then we must stand for the truth. Um, and so we've talked about some of the challenges of it, but there's also the beautiful part of it. When you watch a worship service Hmm. from the, you know, from the first prayer all the way to the closing prayer, and you see a body of believers following the New Testament pattern for public worship, I think that's a glorious thing to say, God's church exists, (laughs) Yeah, is doing. A, she's she's behaving exactly as he's commanded her to behave. She's pure, not perfect, but blameless because of Jesus Christ, and, and striving towards uh, be becoming better and better in the process. That's such a wonderful thing. So so it's not all. It's not like we're fighting everybody. It's more mm-hmm. like the truth is is front and center. It, it takes priority over everything. And the beauty of that is that all of us answer to that same truth so so there's no you know, God's not partial as we yeah. talked about before so the, there's no r- rules that are different from me to you that they're the same and, and you and I can follow them and we can follow them together so that you know I think that's an amazing thing it's, it's not it's not all dark and difficult the beautiful thing is when it's working and you can really see Christ reflected in that yeah I like to always think
1: that when you look at New Testament worship God has designed that for his, his own right reasons. But I always like to look at it as if he's giving us a little tiny, teeny taste <laughs> of heaven. Yeah. When, especially when you, we, a song is led where the, the women get to sing apart in, in, in altos and sopranos together without the men. Yeah. I just love that. It is amazing. Because the, the women's voices are just angelic. They're not like the men's voices. <laughs> not to put down on us men, but, but really, you listen. It's just so beautiful, and I, just, I can't help but thinking, that's what heaven's going to be like. Yeah. And there won't be any time constraints. I don't have to quit at noon or, or whenever. Uh, I can just keep singing. I can keep praising God. We, can, we, we do that in prayer now, but then we'll get to do it face-to-face. It's just, it's for me, it's a little reminder and a little taste of what awaits. And, and that's one, one part of what God has designed the church to be, I believe. And so New Testament worship in its purity, the work of the church in its purity, the, the structure of the church in its purity, what its emphasis is, is the church emphasizing the spiritual, or are they putting all the emphasis on the carnal, mm-hmm. on material things? when a church is spiritually minded and operating according to the truth, then it is upholding that truth. And God's will is done and his truth is proclaimed.
0: Yeah, and another another part of that is, as you just pointed out, this has all been accomplished by the eternal purpose of God, the eternal purpose of God. So, So you and I are alive today, but we have to make a decision about this truth that God set forth. And if we want to be a part of it, And then once we are, what God says about that, and I'm going to give you two passages in Ephesians 3 in verse 8. Paul begins in verse 8 by saying, "...the grace of God was given to me so that I might preach and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Christ Jesus to the intent..." So here's why. Here's the purpose. "...to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church." to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, you know, it's, it's not a matter of looking at Scripture and saying, well, I don't want to do that, or maybe that's your thing. or That has nothing to do with it. God's eternal purpose is laid out and set forth for everyone to read and understand and say, I want to be a part of that. I'm determined to be a part of that because it is God's plan that we would make the manifold wisdom of God evident, make it known by the, the church does that to who principalities and powers in the heavenly places. So that's to men and to angels that the church of the living God is the pillar and ground of the truth as it as a testimony to angels. That it just blows my mind.
1: Yeah, this, this is such a powerful passage and it's one of my favorites to Appreciate and proclaim the glory of the church. There is a glory that God has given to the church. And I, I really get upset when I hear theories and, and teachings and doctrines put forth that demean the church. Mm-hmm. That the church was just an afterthought with God. It, it was an emergency plan B because he was surprised that the Jews rejected Jesus as king. So he had to plug the church in uh, until he could finally get the Jews to come around and accept the the Messiah. That is utterly demeaning. It's blasphemous. It really is. Toward God. Because it directly contradicts this scripture. (laughs) It was the eternal purpose of God to establish the church. Why? To demonstrate his wisdom to everybody. That's right. So, now when man comes along and changes the church in any way, and we're, again, back to that thread that we saw in First, uh, First Timothy 3, if you change anything that God has ordained about the church, the pattern that he has set down in the New Testament, you're eroding that pillar that the church is, is of the truth, for the truth, and you have now distorted the wisdom of god and you are no longer giving an accurate accurate picture of his wisdom to the world you have now supplanted his wisdom with man's wisdom and that's that's what you're showing to the world so it to me it is a profoundly serious thing uh, as to how we view the church and how we do the work of the church, and how we worship as a church, and what God's purpose is for, yeah, him. And how the, how the church is organized. If it's if none of that is a, according to His pattern, His ordained will, we have now deviated from His wisdom. We no longer demonstrate wisdom uh, to the principalities and the powers in the heavenly places. Nope. We have shown that well, yeah, God's basic idea is pretty good, but. Here now in the 21st century, we need to do this to make it a little better. You just said God's wisdom's not good enough.
0: It fell short. Yeah. yeah. That
1: You better rethink that. That is tremendously serious. Yeah. And so it helps me to try to always remember to properly appreciate the church. It has a vital role in God's plan.
0: Yeah, it absolutely does. And I, I told you I'd give you two. So the second one sure. is in Ephesians yeah. 4, talking about Jesus uh, having ascended into heaven, that, what, what great things he had accomplished. Verse 11 says, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So the saints in, in this process of you know the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, that the saints would be equipped for the work of the ministry. So there is the pillar and ground of the truth, uh, demonstrating God's truth in its conduct for the edifying of the body of Christ. Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's an amazing statement. That we should no longer be children. So here it is again: the pillar and the ground of the truth. We should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ, from whom the whole body, that's the church of the living God, the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body, for the edifying of itself in love." All of the things that have been put in place by God and by Jesus Christ himself to give the saint, to equip the saints and give them what they need to live out this life the way God has intended that we're not deceived, uh, we're not tricked by the plotting of men, we're not carried away by every wind of doctrine, but instead the op- opposite opposite of that is that we speak the truth in love so there's that goes back to what we were saying is the church is not a bad institution that's just looking to demean people and you know judge everybody straight to hell the church has a work to present the truth in love and and in that process we grow up in all things into him Jesus who is the head every joint supplies as we read the scriptures together every joint finds its part in the church and works that out as as the pillar and the ground of the truth yeah, it, it i was just thinking as you were looking at
1: that th- this is a really a summary statement mm-hmm. of what the church is all about uh, that you just read in ephesians 4 but it's often accurately pointed out that ephesians and colossians are kind of sister letters they they complement each other uh, they touch on a lot of the same things and uh, expre- express those things in the same language oftentimes. But the reason there are two letters like that is they have different uh, points of view, different vantage points that they're looking at something. Colossians is all about the greatness of Christ.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: He is to summarize in, in Colossians 2:10 the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Ephesians is the greatness of his body, the church. And so those two letters, uh, Ephesians and Colossians, just fit hand in glove.
0: Yeah, they're beautiful comparisons. Because you have
1: the surpassing majesty of Jesus Christ in Colossians, and in Ephesians, the great glory and purpose of His body, the church. And so he's he spells out here what the church is supposed to do as as its members grow, reflect Christ to society, behave in such a way to influence others uh, on the right way to go. But he's given the tools to do that. He's, in verse 11, he's given some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors or shepherds. That's <laughs> yes, what the we, word is. We talked about that before. Uh, those are the elders uh, and teachers. These all together equip the saints for the work of the ministry and what is that work of the ministry he go he just spells it out in the remaining verses that's right so uh we have teachers we have shepherds we have evangelists today and i would affirm that we have prophets and apostles Um, i remember one time many years ago i was talking to a couple of uh, young men who were members of a church that claims to have modern day apostles uh, as as a an example that is an evidence that they are the true church of jesus christ um, so they they were going through all of that and i said well the church that i'm a member of has apostles too and they said living apostles like we have oh absolutely they're alive <laughs> and they they just said they were astounded He said, we never heard that before. We never heard of another church that has apostles. And I go, yeah. In fact, our apostles are Peter and John and Matthew and James and just go right on down the line. Mm -hmm. We have apostles and prophets today who still teach the church through the writings that God inspired them to put down for us for our guidance and our admonition and our learning.
0: And they're alive because God is not the God of the dead, but the God of
1: the living. Peter is still alive today. So is John and Matthew. Uh, All of the saints of Jesus Christ are alive. So yes, the church has living apostles and prophets today. They just don't walk the earth anymore. But their teaching is still here. That's right. They're
0: still talking to us. So
1: we are guided (laughs) in every possible way into the truth of God's word. And there again that's our responsibility to, to uphold that's and to right. proclaim that truth
0: and i think too for us you know depending on who may hear this at any given point that you it's always wise for for me and for kurt and for anyone else who's listening to us really as long as this is available uh to consider where they attend and and to ask are we the pillar and the ground of the truth do, do we stand solely on the word of god or has Men's ideas, concepts, even sometimes the trickery of men, um, found its way into the place where I worship. Because if so, I need to get that sorted out. I want—I want to be a member of of the the pillar and the ground of the truth. That the, that that is where it all begins, and that's where God's will is entirely fulfilled. And I don't want to miss out on that. Um, if if you're concerned but you're not sure, I would I would just encourage you to think about. Man will bring things in that are of a carnal nature. Um, you know, the spaghetti dinner, the, the hot dog luncheon, or whatever. Th- those are carnal things. And, and Paul is very clear to us when he says in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation, for the Jew first and also the Greeks. So, so, what's the power of God unto salvation? The gospel of Jesus Christ. The church where we attend should be built. Solely on the Word of God, you come to services and they say, well, "What do y'all do here?" We preach the truth, we teach from the Word of God. Well, what else? Uh, that's it. We, uh, you know, we got a Sunday morning service where we follow the New Testament commandments for the church to be involved in. We preach the truth, and then we go to class where we preach the truth, and then we come back together for a third service where we follow the instruction given in the New Testament church, and we preach the truth. And some people are going to be. They're going to stumble because of that, because there's the carnal is missing. Uh, but God's will, the, the power of God into salvation is the gospel of Jesus Christ and nothing else. And so that's why we stand on it. And that's why where you attend should as well. Um, you got a questions for me? I do. Okay, good, because we, we need to lay them on each other. What is your first question? Uh, what is the meaning of life?
1: Well, that's not really Bible trivia, so maybe we, should, uh, maybe we should shift that one. I'm glad you said that. I we'll was going to of say life. something that would have made no sense. <laughs> no, these are Bible trivia <laughs> questions, so we're not going to get into profound philosophy and what have you. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> so, yeah, here's my first question. Trivia, sweet trivia. How many years did the Israelites spend in the wilderness after they left Egypt?
0: Forty years. That
1: is correct. Yes. Deuteronomy
0: chapter 1 at verse 3. And it's said in more places than just that, but Deuteronomy 1 and verse Mm 3 tells us specifically.
1: Yep, And it was a mirror of uh, the spies who went into the promised land to to check it out uh, after the people had left Egypt. They spent forty days in the land, and when they came back and gave an evil report, and discouraged the people, God said, "For every day that you were in the land, you're going to spend a year in the wilderness."
0: And that old generation died off yep. in the wilderness.
1: Till that, yep, the forty years was to to let that generation die off, so that their children, who would grow up knowing the Lord, would go in and take the land.
0: Awesome. Okay, I'm I'm going to ask you what book this verse is found in, and I'll give you a I'll give you a slight hint. You and I, I believe. If you open the email, you and I read this verse in an email just this past week. What book is this verse found in? Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints.
1: Uh that's out of the wisdom literature. And I like that verse, but I can't place it. I'm I the first flash in my mind is Psalms. Yeah. But uh, That's right. So I'm correct.
0: Yeah. So I was going to give you a Always bonus, Always go but with not, your first hunch. <laughs> <laughs> There'll be no bonus for you, sir. It's Psalm 116 and verse 15. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. And as strange as that sounds, um, I believe that it means it's precious because they're coming home. Hmm. When they pass from this life, they've been faithful. They've they've served God. And, and it's a precious thing to be brought yeah, into his arms. He to welcome his child home. Yeah. yeah beautiful. And what an awesome, awesome thing that is.
1: Okay, my second question. Um, what babe was famously uh, hidden in a basket and then laid among the rushes in the river? <laughs> what babe? Baby in our language today. Baby. What squalling little brat?
0: Moisha, Moses. That is correct, Amundo,
1: Exodus chapter 2 at verse 3. He was laid uh, in a basket and then put among the rushes specifically at a place where it was known that Pharaoh's daughter would come down to bathe.
0: Yeah, it worked, too. It did.
1: Yeah.
0: All right, final question of the day. Where can we find the qualifications for elders in the New Testament? It's two different places. The qualifications for elders are listed.
1: Titus 1 and 1 Timothy 2.
0: 1 Timothy uh, three, I'm sorry, 3. 3, that's yes. correct. 1 <laughs> Timothy 3, 1-7, through 7, Titus 1, 5 through 5-9 qualifications of the elders of the Lord's church are written out for us there. Very good.
1: Which again, touching back on our theme for the day, uh, if your elders don't fulfill those qualifications, then are you the pillar in the ground of the truth?
0: Yeah. Yeah. It all as, flows. As a church. Yeah. Yep. It works. Um, so first Timothy three, 14 and 15, Paul says to Timothy, and just think about what we've discussed today these things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly. But if I'm delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of the truth. Paul thought that Timothy's conduct was important enough to say, here's how you behave when you're when you're in the midst of God's church.